I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 1, Episode 2 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1. Single and Unrepeatable. For the past two years, I've lived in New York City. Population 8,550,405. The rent is high, but I love it here for many reasons. The architecture, the hustle and bustle, the food and entertainment, all of it. But most of all, I love it for the, let's just call it 8.5 million people. People like to talk about New Yorkers. They're rude, crass, impatient, but I haven't found that to be the case. New Yorkers are pretty great. They're passionate, driven, talented, eclectic, diverse, efficient, honest, and welcoming. All of us have our own unique personalities, but by and large, the very nature of the city forces you to compete and struggle for everything you can get and forces you to move and be mobile. It should come as no surprise then that a 2015 New York City mobile service study found that 95.8% of NYC survey respondents reported owning a cell phone and 87%, which is 16% above the national average, reported owning a smartphone. If you're a New Yorker, it's a 9 out of 10 chance that you own a smartphone. And that's a lot of smartphones. I'll do the math for you. 87% of 8.5 million NYC residents is 7.5 million people constantly connected to their contacts, constantly connected to the nearest and furthest throws of the world via mini supercomputers that live in their pockets. This is a podcast series about building connectivity and smart building services, so you'd be forgiven for thinking that I might be teeing up this episode to talk about the merits of using our mobile phones to control our building environment surroundings. I'm not, but we can and will certainly save that for another time. What interests me about these statistics today is that every one of these New Yorkers, at some point or another, walked into a mobile carrier store like AT&T, Verizon, or Sprint, and walked out with what could easily be defined as an operating system for their unique, individual, specific, fast-paced life. For every one of the millions of New Yorkers who entered their store, little truly differentiated one choice of device from another, aside from base hardware specifications, standard software, and preloaded Apple or Android applications. Each of the boxes came with smartphones completely factory standard with minor distinguishing functional differences beyond technical specifications. Sure, some technology purists may point out that each newly released phone model has differences in memory, storage capacity, or camera capabilities, But the big picture base case is that every New Yorker walks into the store and buys roughly the same thing. Repeat this acquisition 7.4 million times over and consider the accompanying truth. By the time these New Yorkers walk out of the store, every single one of these phones is personalized to the point that no two are the same, to the point that every New Yorker would be able to identify which is theirs in a sea of hardware and explain why. We personalize these devices via modifications and applications that help us identify who we are. You may have an iPhone 10 with 256 gigs, absolutely identical to the one I have, but this qualification is so inconsequential to what I identify with about my phone that I actually had to check to verify my memory was at 256 gigs. While I can't rattle off my hardware specifications to you, 
I can, in fact, tell you everything about my iPhone that makes it unique to me and only me and completely different than yours. My iPhone has an application that takes me to Pittsburgh Pirates News year-round because I partly identify as a masochist. It has two different fantasy football apps and one fantasy baseball app for the same exact reason. When these afflictions lead me to a point of frustration where I need to burn off some steam, I have a ClassPass app, a MindBody app, and a MyZone app for booking workout classes and tracking results, and a Headspace app for guided meditation. I like learning languages, so there's an app called Scritter that allows me to learn Mandarin Chinese, and an app called Duolingo that teaches me French. While my iPhone does not have Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter as yours might, it does have HBO Go, Netflix, and Spotify. I use Waze, Google Maps, City Mapper, Lyft, and Uber depending on where I am in order to get around. I talk to different friends via iMessage, GroupMe, Slack, Telegram, or WhatsApp. I travel a lot for work, so my Hilton Honors app, American Airlines app, Amtrak app, and National Car Rental app are all important for me in an outsized way. I play HQ trivia every night with friends, and I deal with my finances via Mint, Chase, Capital One, Coinbase, and Venmo. As a podcast lover, as I hope you are, I of course use my podcast app, but as a podcast host, I use a lesser known app called Tape a Call Pro and my simple voice recorder app, which I'm using now. Go ahead, raise your hand if I just described your smartphone. My guess is not, and my hope is that the only other listener with the Pittsburgh Pirates app on their phone is my father, who burdened me with this curse and deserves at least the same fate that I do. There are 7.4 million people in NYC and countless others beyond the five boroughs who could run down the same type of description for you about their own personal smartphone. Hopefully, they like the Yankees instead. Beyond our millions of smartphones, and more directly relevant to this podcast series, New York City also boasts tens of thousands of buildings. According to Wikipedia, there are about 6,500 completed high-rise buildings measuring in at 10 stories or taller, and 113 that are 50 stories or taller. To put it mildly, there are lots and lots of buildings that can or should employ building automation in New York City. It would be tempting, but misleading, to compare the levels of differentiation between the hardware and software packages in every building with controls in New York City. The truth is, in doing this, the largest differentiating factor would be more dependent on the age of each system and the capabilities of technology during the time at installation. Building automation systems, as opposed to smartphones, have stayed in service for decades as opposed to years, and we all know how dramatically technology improves over that kind of time horizon. Frankly, for many older systems, the second largest differentiating factor making one system more personal to a facility manager versus another are the field modifications they've made to keep the system up and running over time. In many cases, only they know, or hopefully remember, what those personalizing distinctions are. That's very personal indeed, but not what we're hoping to necessitate in the future of building automation or to highlight in this episode. No, the questions we need to be asking are related to the customers who just left or are about to go to the mobile phone store, so to speak. The question I pose today is, just how do we set ourselves up for more personalized smart building app experiences? And I ask this of our next guest, Bobby Joe Provost is the building automation construction sales manager in one of the world's most progressive and competitive building markets at Schneider Electric's New York, New Jersey branch office. 
She's a straight shooter, a visionary leader, and a friend. Our discussion will follow in Act 2. Act 2. Every building is like a person, single and unrepeatable. Lewis Sullivan. And with that, let's dive right into our conversation with Bobby Joe. What do you think about the analogy to cell phones and app platforms versus the way you see people purchasing building automation now? So I have adopted this parallel between the two. And I, I think the value of it truthfully is it's showing how we're changing the relationship between us and our devices and how with technology, we're really starting to connect with a purpose. It would be ridiculous, right? If I was to walk around in the most simplistic way with a camera, a Garmin GPS, maybe a map, just in case, a calendar, all these different things seem so simple to understand when it comes to your iPhone, but we still struggle with a building to understand why to break down these silos. Right. And until we really start to define what the purpose is and how it's going to create a more insightful, flexible environment, it's really on us to help change the way others think. Yeah, and I think that some of that is, you know, with phones, like once the platform was brought together with all of those devices, you didn't necessarily know how it was going to be used at first, but then people figured it out over time. And I think that one really cool thing to see in our industry now is we have to have a view for how, you know, the, the immediate benefit for why people would integrate things together and, and build apps and services, but like people will continue to discover new ways to use those systems together over time as more use cases are put together. Absolutely. And um, I think we're only scratching the surface right now with the things that we use them for now and, and how we can really set ourselves up long-term for success much further beyond just the low-hanging fruit of, of saving energy and operational efficiency, but how do we really start to impact people's lives with this technology? Bobby Joe, what systems do you see integrated most often? So we see almost all of the low voltage systems integrated together. So building automation, security, lighting, shade control, elevator destination dispatch. Those are just a few of the ones we see that are integrated together. Okay, and when those are integrated together, is the occupant the first consideration for doing that, or should they be? I think they should, because it's it's a different experience when all of these systems are integrated together. And now that I've experienced buildings that have went above and beyond and thought of technology for the future, you, it's a different experience when you walk into the lobby, when you, when you visit the security check-in desk, if they already have you in the system how you get up to that floor, how you get through the turnstiles, if there's a conference room there waiting for you. It's just a different experience. So it's a different experience, but what is the point of it being a different experience? I mean, have you seen that this makes buildings more marketable? Have you seen, you know, the idea that people might stay longer if they are a tenant in a facility like that? What's the benefit? Yeah, I would say there's two different experiences. There's the experience for the people operating the building, which is one piece. And then there's the experience for the tenant or the visitor that is within the building. And I think the simplicity and the customization make you feel like you're an individual. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand if they can do it in their home, why isn't it available 
in their office space. And so you start to create these habits as an individual. What you mentioned there about um, you know, your expectation with the experiences that you have in your own home is a really key point because no one is going to generate lower expectations about technology over time. We can be sure that over the next 10, 20, 30 years, people are going to be wanting more. And so once that platform is there and those integrated systems are there, they really can't ask for too much. And that term future-proof really comes into play. And retaining your employees. I think there's an um, analysis that was done that when you lose a person, you actually lose 1.5 of their salary because of downtime and training and getting somebody else up on, up to speed. So your workforce becomes your most valuable asset. So anything you can do to maintain your workforce longer actually has greater benefit than just a one-for-one one if you lose them. That's a really interesting point. So we have people coming to us because I think they're starting to understand that office space can deliver differently uh, to different people. And what I mean by that is it was viewed in the past as a sunk cost of I need office space. And now they're starting to understand that there is a great ROI that can come in conjunction with this. So do you do you see customers starting to ask that question now and, and be interested in, in that end of things, or is it still primarily energy efficiency right now? Um, we're starting, that's a great question. We're starting to see it more so that from a word of mouth basis yeah. in our customers that were early adopters and really the, the visionaries that knew how they wanted to market the building knew they wanted to attract the class A tenant. We see more so them being looked at as the role model and how they're getting more dollars per square foot or how they have been able to lease outside of an economic cycle rather than people looking at a company like Schneider as the technology vendor. So it's starting with my contemporaries are doing it. How do I compete with them and how do I do it better? And then eventually it's leading its way down to us. And they're seeing a driver from their end of we want to have a connected building and we want to have smart services. And that's sort of what's influencing those decisions. Is that something that you're seeing a lot of? So I think the, the main driver that we're seeing is people are starting to look at technology as an amenity. Yeah. And traditionally... I know I learned back in history class, location, location, location. Yeah. And now it's really technology, technology, technology. And I, I say that because, yes, as a, an occupant of a building, if I was to own a law firm someday or God knows what, yes, I want to have the building that has the nice cafeteria and floor-to-ceiling windows and the gym space that's available. But I also want to be able to do business with speed. And I want to use technology to help foster the things within my work of environment, uh, the collaboration, how I can increase my productivity, how the conversations with among the collaboration can, can foster different ideas. And that's really going to start to come from technology. And then does it ever come up where people are considering, you know, when you think of an office space, who's going to be within that office space over time? So millennials or Gen Z? Does that, does that affect people's um, opinions of, of how they're making these investments? The people that have the vision to invest in technology in their building aren't necessarily 
worried about from the real estate side aren't necessarily worried about who they attract. They're, they're worried about what tenants that they're going to attract in the sense of they're looking at their customer's customer. And when their customer's customer can hire the better talent and can retain those employees and grow as an organization, then they're going to take up more square footage in the building, extend their lease. So those are the things we see them looking at. And so that, you know, the leasing agents and the, the folks that are marketing this building, what variety of options do they have that they could market for the building? You know, in the app store, you have almost an unlimited selection of apps. How does their app store work? What kind of things do they, would they market for you? Yeah, the, the beauty of it and the intent, if you will, of this episode is we've explained it to the leasing team similar to an iPhone in that the building has the technology or the iOS, if you will, that is, is future ready. So as your business grows, you can add and expand with whatever applications make the most sense for your business and no two businesses are the same. Right. And so we've, we've been able to use that analogy to teach the leasing team that um, this building has a platform that's ready for innovation and take advantage of it as you please. And they may have applications that we have never heard of before that help them run their business. And it's all almost a simple plug and play or a download of an app to the system. That's really cool. So it is very similar to the lead in for this, where everybody who buys one of these smart platforms for themselves, you know, whether it's, you know, your phone, like we're all familiar with, you can personalize that. What you're saying is every business is different. The infrastructure is there. The applications will be able to be launched off top of that. Exactly. Um, all right. So if, if, you, if you're making these decisions, if you're, if you're one of the people that are making these decisions that are, there's a lot at stake, you know, there's a difference between when I just buy an iPhone for myself and decide to check out an app um, versus being a facility manager or CTO um, that might be looking to make an investment in an application for a building. What are the mistakes that they can make? Yeah. So I think the biggest mistake in the most simplistic terms is you did the right thing. You um, Apple bias. So you bought an iPhone or you bought a smartphone. Yeah. If you buy the smart infrastructure in a building and the platform that allows for this innovation, there is no way to make a mistake because in reality, you have to purchase each of these systems regardless. So depending on whether you purchase them in silos or purchase them together, determines if they're able to interact, determines if you have redundancy, future expandability. So I would say the mistakes are, if you don't go this route, you leave yourself open. Um, there's cybersecurity threats long-term. Eventually you're gonna want to share this data between systems, which I can assure you isn't going to be cheaper day two when you have to do uh, core drilling uh, and infrastructure of these beautiful class A office buildings. And lastly, I would say the biggest mistake is people think it's more expensive to go this way. And people have this perceived notion that because I have more fiber in my building and more switches and, and more paths up the building that it's better. But what they're not realizing is it also equals more points of failure more systems that aren't properly maintained. And it doesn't give you the ability to, to share the data across platforms, which ultimately allows you to make better decisions. 
So I have a deceptively simple question then. If you're making these choices, what are the right choices? In your opinion today, if you're making investments, what are the right things to, to choose? If I was an owner, I think the smartest thing you can do and invest in, number one would be technology, but number two would be a company or a partner who is on the forefront of technology, who isn't afraid of the ambiguity of what the, the future may hold. And somebody who doesn't take no for an answer, somebody who listens to your ideas and visions and thinks that anything could be possible. And if, if you see a business value in it, then we'll figure out a way. So I think it's, it's important. It seems so simple in my eyes that you just have to find the right team to surround yourself with who can help integrate all these technologies that are either here with us today or coming out in the future. And that's a huge departure from the iPhone analogy, right? Because a lot of that, you, you make those downloads and then it's yours and you run it. But it's not a one-for-one one between you know phone technology and buildings because there's so much involved. And I think bringing up the, the human component of that and working in teams is very, very important. That's a great point. Are we in a period of substantial innovation around building apps? Um, we were once in a time period where we were greenwashed if you will, and, and everybody was saying, I can save you 10% of your energy. I can save you 30% yep. of your energy. But really not understanding that that's just uh, uh, the tip of the iceberg of what you can really uncover. And so I think it, it's limitless out there for the amount of apps that um, can happen, will happen. And the importance to building owners is to start collecting this data yeah if it isn't going to cost you more money up front to start collecting the data and having systems set up in place that can eventually share the data so ultimately someday you can make better decisions or um, somebody in the building is going to ask for this data maybe they can grow their business with it maybe there is a way for the building owner to start generating revenue based on uh, sharing the use of this data. So I think that's what's most important. I would tend to agree with that. I think that the substantial innovation is, is us as an industry growing away from the fact that we've always looked at energy efficiency and it's very important and it's not less important, but there's just so much you can do with data. And for us as an industry to move towards finding ways to generate revenue or or affect occupant experience in other ways, I think really is what's, what's opening this up to make it so interesting. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, smart building technology investments. I was wondering if you could maybe chat a little bit about who influences these decisions from different channels. So maybe start with contractors and, and their role in these decisions. Contractors in the past, they have built forever the same. It's always worked. They've always delivered the systems that are needed to operate the building. So when, when we started this whole smart building initiative in our office and owners thinking differently, the hardest people to actually get on board were general contractors. And I don't mean that as a negative to them by any means, but it was something different for them to procure differently instead of going out for their electrical bid and their building automation bid and their security bid and their lighting bid. It was different for them, and they worried when they started to combine these systems or these packages that they were procuring that 
either they were going to miss something or they weren't sure who was top-notch to be able to deliver all of these packages. And so we thought it had to start in an education to ownership, but we also had to educate the general contractors. And now that we've done several projects that are smart, they understand that we're a part of the team and that we speak this low voltage language and we control our subs and we coordinate all of those tiers together from a technology standpoint. What about specifiers? There are specifiers that use technology and and the smart buildings as a way to differentiate themselves. Um, We still have specifiers out there who have been slow to adopt uh, the converged systems, but it's going in that direction. And when owners take an active role in saying, this is what I want to accomplish in this building, the specifiers have to change. For some of them, they have to see it as an opportunity, as this is a way that I can differentiate myself. You know, I can become a specifier of smart building systems. And if the industry is going to move in that direction ultimately, due to occupant or owner or general contractor influence and demand, then it would make sense to kind of be on the vanguard of that. Exactly. I mean, it's exactly that. It's seeing the trends in the marketplace and adapting your business to stay relevant with those trends. And I think that once those use cases really play out and people start understanding some things that happen a little bit more frequently, then it'll be easier to specify that. It'll be easier to encode that into documents and and create that repeatable experience that naturally the you know design community is looking to create. Exactly. I mean, it's too often we see specifications for different systems and they sit in the same office, but there's no need for them to collaborate. To interact, yep. And within their own firm, they've either created a gap or an overlap. And so by starting to converge these systems, you also start to converge the minds within these offices. You, you mitigate those gaps and overlaps. You have an electrical department who thinks differently than a mechanical department start to, to share their ideas uh, kind of across their walls or across their silos. So I think once we get to that point where we no longer build in silos, we're going to start to see uh, the speed of technology go even faster. So we're removing physical, literal silos and also philosophical, metaphorical silos in departments and the way people think. Exactly. And then lastly, vendors. Where, where do, do vendors play in this? Where we've really been able to differentiate ourselves is we act as an integrator to ownership. Our platform allows innovation for them in the sense that they may have something that is a standard of theirs that their team is trained on, that they see as best in class, that they want to integrate with their building automation system. We're the people that they come to. We're willing to write those integrations and applications in the background to help share the information across those platforms. And then what I think still uh, keeps people from taking advantage is they haven't figured out the purpose yet. And it's our job as leaders in the technology industry to really continue to educate the market that 
it's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay to not know how you're going to apply it. It's to know you have a system in the background that can make your building future ready. Yeah, it's like if we can figure out a way to help a customer with one thing that really matters to them, that first thing that's you know very important, and we can make that experience better and more seamless and smarter, then they should start asking, well, okay, you helped me put together this, this platform that's in place that has all the stuff together. Can we start looking at lighting or can we start looking at parking or, or whatever it might be? I really think that going down that path once makes it easier to continue to grow and learn. Absolutely. And it's, it's truthfully on us in this technology industry uh, and, and on Schneider Electric to continue to do what we do well and educate others that there's really no limit to what they can achieve. We're only at the start of, of what we're capable of using the data that we're collecting for. And it's really just data until we start doing analytics on it or making business decisions based on it. So I think we're we're only at the start of it, and I am I'm a nerd when it comes to all of this, so I'm so excited <laughs> to see what's next and and what the future holds. I agree. You know, I think that we're lucky to be in this industry at this point, and we're going to be occupants in buildings for a long time too. So it's going to be cool to see all that stuff that happens. Is that um, you know why are you excited to be in this industry? Is it is it mostly that, or, or is there anything else to it for you? Such a good question. Um, I think I'm spoiled because of being in New York and developers think differently. I mean, there's how many people in New York City? Yeah. Uh, millions. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, the amount of buildings that are going up, the amount of competition these buildings have with each other, owners and developers have to keep themselves relevant and they're leaning on technology and that's the way the whole world is going not just our industry is technology and to work for an organization that puts that at the forefront of everything we do is I'm really proud to be a part of that's great and you do an awesome job of it and that's why I wanted to have you on so I really really appreciate you taking the time thank you again for having me it's been a pleasure ah uh, apps Sure, they're still largely nascent in the building automation industry, but it won't always be that way. And from our conversations today, it's clear we can be excited about the future innovations to come. And don't forget, it wasn't too long ago that applications on our smartphones were largely an unknown Wild West to everyone in the world as well. We don't always remember that the first iPhone only came out a little over a decade ago, and it didn't take all that long before we were introduced to its first killer apps. By some accounts, it appears we've discovered our first killer app in buildings. But to understand where this might lead and how it might impact our industry, we might benefit from revisiting another place in time. A time of unrest for foul. A dangerous time for shoddy structures. A time of dishes being served cold to porcine thieves. Bring your slingshot for the next story up. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast, and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake.
thanks for that. That's cool. Now you know. Now, now I know. Now I'm never going to walk into a building <laughs> the same.